Welcome to the Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, it's Thanksgiving today. <laughs> Canadian Thanksgiving, it turns out. Oh, yeah. It's hard to imagine there's a country so close to ours having Thanksgiving before us. America, often the first to do things. Seeding <laughs> that ground and so much other ground to countries around the world. We, uh, we had a great time in Canada. We had, uh, I mean, I think technically our Toronto show didn't sell out, but it was by... A handful of tickets so i'm gonna go ahead and upgrade it to three sold out shows in canada i concur message is authentic ben it felt it felt certainly like three pack shows and all of them were fucking riots i yeah. thought like the energy was amazing and and like many of them were midweek yeah yeah that uh a toronto show i mean last year we played a saturday night in toronto and it was it was a party. Like people were drunk. There was revelry of all kinds, <laughs> and uh, I was I was wondering if it would be the same vibe when we went back because uh, you know Saturday night is a night to cut loose for a lot of people, and uh, honestly, I feel like Toronto brought the same energy or better on a Wednesday night. <laughs> it yeah. was great. Yeah, every every show in Canada was great. It wasn't. It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be to crisscross the country and do these three shows. It was yeah. easy. It was great. Those airports are kind of empty. We also met some folks who uh, work on uh, television in Toronto. Uh, they uh, stuck around after the show and said hi to us. And uh, one of them has actually done some, some freelance uh, prop work on Discovery. Yeah. This person mentioned... Uh, because obviously that prompted a couple of questions from us. This person <laughs> mentioned the uh, the giant NDA that they had to sign. Yeah, yeah, like a phone book of promises about what they won't <laughs> reveal. <laughs> uh, like sadly understandable. But what this person could disclose was just how exciting it was to have this job and to work on Discovery and uh, and how great everyone she worked with was. Yeah, and like taking lunch and, and uh, getting to walk around the sets when they're not in use sounds God. really, really fun. Could you imagine? That, that's got to be the best. Yeah. I bet you're wearing booties on that set. There's a lot of glossy surfaces there. It is your duty to wear that booty. <laughs> uh, Adam, we have a... Ben, a, it's my duty to wear out that booty. <laughs> Well, on that note, Adam, today on uh, on the show, we're going to review the first of the four short treks, which uh, just got released. But before we get to that, uh, we also have a trailer for season two that I think we should sink our teeth into. Yeah, let's go ahead and turn the page and watch that New York City Comic-Con trailer for Star Trek Discovery season two. It shows a little bit more than the than the previous trailer. I mean, in a couple of crucial areas. Yeah. I mean, not to cut to the end, but you finally see Spock looking very cyborg-y. Yeah, he's end. really put on the cyborg vibes. 
Uh. He's like Filson Spock. <laughs> He's looking great. A little bedraggled. He's like doing a look that maybe you do in your 20s, but then, you know, when you're a little bit more grown up, like the Spock we know, you, you, you cut the beard off and try and look, you know, a little bit more distinguished. There's a thing in TV and movies where, like, if you were introduced in a wheelchair or on a gurney, mm-hmm. like, that sets a tone, right? What yeah. are they trying to say about Spock here by, by introducing him in this way? That he's about to give birth? <laughs> <laughs> Tiberius, it's a terrible name. <laughs> uh, I had a, a thought, Ben. Uh, yeah, you just keep talking. I don't. I don't really have any thoughts. Is this a is this a mirror, Spock? Oh, I don't know. Why? Why do you think that? Because of the because of the facial hair. Because of facial hair. Because of facial hair, and because we've already been to the mirror universe. I think you're just uh, you're just convinced that everything is the mirror universe. I am. I would like to believe in something like that. There's uh, a lot of Pike in this trailer. We get to see. Um, uh, it seems like Saru and Michael Burnham are like have really buried the hatchet and are maybe even best friends in season two. You and I are barely the kind of friends that that are shirtless, but we get shirtless Saru and Michael Burnham here. Thus making their friendship more intimate. He's a, he's a vulnerable man. Yeah. We also see uh, Mirror Universe Giorgio, who is uh, sneaking around, impersonating aliens, wearing a black badge. And uh, and that seems uh, like a, an interesting development. I mean, I think we, we knew that she was potentially going to be coming back, but uh, it's really exciting for her to have a very prominent place in this trailer. It really makes me wonder who knows of her true identity, who doesn't, and why that might be the case. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it seems like from that little clip that they released that I guess was actually shot for season one but didn't get put in the show, this is the, uh, you know, the dirty tricks arm of of Starfleet that has hired her specifically because she is an evil and they right. want they want those those skills in their in their toolbox you don't get any of the guy who gave her that badge though yeah what happened to that think. guy i don't know i guess i guess she she did her gang initiation off screen and now she's uh she's an independent contractor yeah i also liked seeing Lorel in the uh, trailer. I, didn't, I wasn't sure if she was going to be a going concern in the new series because it doesn't seem to have that much Klingon shit in it. I saw a screen grab of her in the new season and it looks like they've modified her loaf and I don't just mean the hair. Yeah, because I mean, she had a lot of scarring on the side of her face, right? Oh yeah, maybe that was something to do with it. Now that she's, she's Chancellor of the High Council, uh, she has access to... Some surgery techniques. Some pretty high-end uh, reconstructive surgery. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like everything else I've seen about season two, cautiously optimistic. It looks as beautiful as ever. I mean, it is a glossy, millions and millions of dollars in production value looking show. One thing that I've read about it is that it's going to deal a lot with faith and the intersection of like faith and, and science. Jay, uh, you know, I know that Star Trek often gets tempted to do that. Uh, case in point, Deep Space Nine. Sure. Not really the the subject matter that is most compelling to me personally, 
But uh, I don't know. Agreed. We'll see. We'll see. You know, they've uh, they've surprised me before. Uh, and so we also have a release date, Ben. Yeah. For season two, and it's right around the corner. January is going to be here before we know it. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, and that means we're going to be taking this show back to once a week. And I think also it's been announced that there will not be a mid-season break for season two. So uh, we got our work cut out for us, buddy. I like that a lot, to be honest. Uh, yeah. First step drops January 17th. And then what do we got? Like 16 weeks straight? S- just of- sprinting for 16 yeah. weeks. Uh, here's a question, my good friend. The 17th is a, a Thursday. They have changed the night of the week that the show comes out on. And oh. Thursday is a big night uh, for television, obviously. Because um, of Seinfeld and Friends? Yeah. This just means we have more time to make a really good episode every week. It also means I kind of like the idea of a show coming out two days before the next show, like yeah. to hype what's coming up next. I think that's that's kind of a fun yeah. Technology. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at IMDb, and they have release dates for the first three episodes, and they are uh, the 17th, the 24th, and the 31st of January. So wow. it's a Thursday show. Not a lot made of the, the new date, I don't think. Yeah. It was a surprise to me. Yeah. Weird. Huh. Well, I wasn't doing anything on Thursday nights anyway. <laughs> I'm not watching any other goddamn shows. <laughs> Well, Adam, we uh, we actually have some new content that's an actual content and not just promotion for content that we watched. Uh, do you want to uh, do you want to switch into that? Yeah, why don't we, Ben? Let's talk about Star Trek Discovery Short Treks number one. It's the first of four, and it's called Runaway. Uh, this opens as uh, as you do on the on the disco flying through space and. We kind of uh, flip around to the to the backside and and up the chute, and we're in the cargo bay where the where you know the worker bees and the shuttles embark from, and uh, and they're shutting down a shift. It's everybody has to leave the cargo bay for routine decontamination. It's a real Jellico style shift rotation here with the end of shift five in pain. Yeah, I like the idea of. There being like a routine decontamination, but also a uh, a hand appears from inside one of the uh, cargo boxes, and uh, it's kind of a loafy hand. It's it's almost like a Klingon hand, right? Yeah, like with the kind of pointy fingers, but uh, semi semi translucent. This hand is, and I wondered, like, is the decontam? Do you have to leave because of the decontamination is hostile to life? And if so, like, how does <laughs> how does the the owner of this hand survive this decontamination? Yeah, I mean, the the label on the container says "Property of Starfleet Command." Like, one would assume that someone on board would know those contents, especially with what we find out later. Like, and if if decontamination was dangerous, that this is a container that wouldn't belong there. There were a few moments in this episode where I was like, what is the internal logic of this? And yeah. I, uh, I found myself kind of scratching my head. This hand like reaches out and is uh, is feeling around the outside of the container and there's a uh, kind of a damaged part of the container and uh, finger gets cut, tang orange blood comes out. You really want to take an angle grinder 
to, <laughs> to take down those bears. Shop safety is first and foremost. <laughs> also, I had a question. It seemed to me that the the pod that opened was uh, was in the stack, like it was it was piled up. But there's a pod just like it being brought in by one of the worker bees. So, like, did you understand that the worker bee was, like, unloading a bunch of stuff from another ship? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, right? We see the exterior of the ship floating in space, but there there does not seem to be a another ship running this gear to them or, tr- yeah. or any sort of transfer. Like, was this shit all left out in space? <laughs> it would have been nice if there had been another ship. I think that like a lot of my questions would have been would it would have been answered by that. Especially because this this short treks episode clearly has all the production value of an ep. Yeah, and in fact, I think they they go a little harder on like the camera work and stuff. It's a yeah. it's a 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio, so it's really like wide and cinematic and they have a mm. lot of fun with the the way they frame shots. Is the regular series not 235 to 1? The regular series is 16.9, which is, you know, what your TV is. Yeah. But, uh, but Runaway is more is more like a feature film in its aspect ratio. So I like I think that. They, I think they really thought of these as as short films and, and produced them in that way. Oh, honey, look at your desktop. We cut to the quarters of now Ensign Sylvia Tilly, who is... Uh, Having a a pretty classic phone home to mom, which uh, is like really uh, really emotionally challenging. I think uh, I think a lot of people that have gone away to college or you know are young and starting their careers can uh, can relate to this moment. You know, like you you call home for a little bit of like homey comfort, and it winds up being emotionally draining. And uh, yeah, it's, Tilly's mom is like is really there to reinforce Tilly's own insecurities. It's not just that she's not there for her daughter. It's that the conversation is actually hostile. Like, Tilly's mom is concerned trolling her. Yeah, I feel like this may be something that that women deal with a lot with their moms. Like, I, whenever I, uh, I, I listen to the Retail Nightmares podcast, and they always talk about, like, how a phone home to your mom or, like, or like seeing your mom after a while often results in, uh, oh, is that how you're dyeing your hair now? Oh. <laughs> or, like, yeah. is that what you're going to wear out? And uh, A hostile observation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't quite have that relationship with my mom, but I, uh, it, it felt very authentic, this this interaction, you know, it made me feel very sad for Tilly, Tilly the younger, because Mary Wiseman is such a great facial actor. Like she doesn't really have to say too much, and and especially when someone's in an interaction with the parent where they're just being made to listen. Yeah, this episode also really makes a choice to focus on her instead of the mom. Like the mom is always shot wide and far away, and you're always with Tilly in that interaction it's it's sort of like the muppet babies uh depiction of the mom or the the peanuts depiction of the mom where the mom is almost totally uncharacterized it's it's uh it's about what it means to sylvia tilly yeah like the scene ends with her screaming into a pillow you start to understand why she is the way she is through this very short interaction like the scene does quite a lot for her i mean she she soothes herself with caffeine or 
or the, or time in the commissary. Yeah, it's the kind of scene I I sort of wish we would have had in the mainline show because I like getting to know a character in this way. Like where they're coming from is, is something I like to know about my characters, and we love Tilly a lot. And uh, it would have been cool to to see a scene like that in the show, you know. She's not just like screaming to a pillow, Tilly, but like she's trying to use tools to make herself feel better. And it's not just about consumption. She says, I will remember to expect nothing alone in the commissary. She's like trying to, I don't know, I don't even know what you call this, but like. It's almost like a Zen cone, the way she says it. Like she's kind of like blessing her coffee with saying like, I know that you're not going to solve my problems. And that's really cool. Like she's. She is achieving at a super high level in spite of this overbearing and and uh, unfriendly parenting style that her mom has. She's trying to make things better for herself through scenes like this. And it's yeah. good to see that she's not just a victim. Well, uh, it is not long that she's in the commissary before a, a predator-style invisible figure runs back and forth a couple of times and then just all hell breaks loose and the uh, the doors on the matter processors start opening up and chicken pot pies and <laughs> Caesar salads start flying out. More heavy foods than you would think, right? <laughs> yeah, those burritos definitely make an appearance though. Yeah, and there's fettuccine like hanging off of people. Lots, yeah. lots more pasta than I would have expected in the commissary. That computer is so like so carb shamey uh-huh. you know you would think that uh you would think that it wouldn't be and an abundance of french fries like yeah. they, i don't think we actually hear about french fries but they are all over the floor yeah in the corner materializes a lady and it's the owner of that pointy fingered hand she's got the ability to go invisible and she's also got the ability to have like 12 inch spikes poke out of her back yeah which uh, I guess is so nothing really big will eat her. She kind of reminds me of Blanca from Street Fighter 2 when she like <laughs> crouches down and then like shoots those spikes out of her back. Yeah. Instead of electricity, she has spikiness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that makes her look pretty badass is the septum piercing. Yeah. Do you think that that actor can't, comes with a septum piercing or, if that, or is that something that they did uh, f- for the show? I think they did it for the show. This actor ha- does not have many credits. This is uh, Yadira Guevara Prip. I thought she was great. I also thought she was great. I mean, she's got like five credits, but this really feels like the beginning of a long career for her. She's I awesome. know. She's got kind of a force of nature level of emotional availability. And, and it's the same thing that I think Mary Wiseman has. Like they're, they're great in scenes together. They really can go toe to toe with each other in a fun way. Yeah. So the first thing Tilly does is scans the orange blood that uh, that this lady is leaving everywhere. She finds out that she's an alien. What's What kind of alien is she? She's a Zahia. Zahia. Well, she's from the planet Zahia. She is Zahian. Right. And she's a teen, but not a contagious teen, Adam. <laughs> that's, uh, that's another thing about this ep is that they make a lot of about like there's there's maternal transference happening Mm -hmm. right uh tilly gets to become the mom to poe here but the problem with poe is that she doesn't look very young even though the scanner says she's 17 or whatever yeah like she is more threatening than than what she is made out to be 
I have always been and will always be terrified of 17-year-old girls. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, I, I thought that worked okay because yeah. she's an alien and, like, you know, Tilly is surprised to hear it, too. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it says, like, post-larval or something like that. So, presumably, the despite the fact that she's very humanoid, uh, her, her species has a very different uh, growth cycle, as far as we can tell. We get a scene that brings them together that is one that we've seen in a lot of different films. The idea of food bonding people this is like a very billy and gizmo moment where like (laughs) before they're able to find common ground linguistically like tilly gives poe ice cream and and it's through food that they're able to to realize that they're not a threat to each other i got you some ice cream i don't think that spumoni ice cream specifically would be something that i could make peace over uh, just because I don't think spumoni is a very good flavor of ice cream. Ben, you give me any ice cream and that is a declaration of war. <laughs> because that's saying you want me to feel very, very bad for a long time. Uh, I had a friend tell me that she's making celery juice every morning. She goes to the farmer's market and gets celery and juices it. And uh, digestively, it's done wonders for her. What? Yeah. Wow. I have juiced fairly regularly over the last few yeah, months and like the one juice thing, machine the one thing you you hear and read about making your own juice is that you never want to use celery because celery becomes the dominant flavor in any juice they're juicing only celery mm. and then they they, uh, they knock it back like a shot i guess oh i'll have to try that okay yeah. i don't know I, I know that you you probably once a week get some woo woo suggestion like that like hey <laughs> here's another idea for how to fix your butt <laughs> Yeah, my my wife has begun just rolling her eyes at like the new idea of the week that I bring home. <laughs> I, uh, this week, it's eat a couple of sp- of forkfuls of sauerkraut every day. Oh, get the uh, get the probiotics going. Yeah, yeah, I take probiotics anyway, but I guess I guess you want you want sturdy German probiotics. Yeah, from, from a sauerkraut bin. At some point, Tilly gets the translator going, and they start having a conversation. We find out that uh, this lady's name is Poe, but also her name is Keep Your Filthy Hands Off Me Human, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. She's kind of brilliant, right? The second the translator's going, she's like, I could make one of those in my sleep. I'm uh, I'm very smart. I know how to make very advanced technology. And, uh, and we buy this. Yeah, I mean, they're similar emotionally but they're both uh wonder kids also you yeah know? that's a common thread that can bond them pretty quickly yeah but uh their their interaction is cut short here because uh the next shift comes in and finds tilly just in the <laughs> aftermath of what looks like a pretty epic like uh <laughs> the lost boys and peter pan level food fight <laughs> Tilly really gets to gets to ham it up here in explaining uh, what happened. Space Rabbit. Stammery Tilly is one of the great Tillies. Yeah. Also, she is a plausible cause for a, a solo food fight, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, like, God damn it, again, Tilly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did wish there had been just a beat of her having to, like, clean everything up, you know? Yeah. Because she's an ensign. Like, you know that that's going to land on her. 
Yeah. Like, even if there is a good alien space rabbit explanation, like, somebody's going to have to do that. You never see anybody clean anything up in Star Trek. I know. I mean, we've seen the commissary set before, and I feel like we've seen people bust their own tables. At least I hope so. Do they have that uh, gray tray in the corner where you put your plates and cutlery? Yeah. I think they have to, right? Yeah, and there's a sign over the garbage can that says, please do not throw away your your baskets and (laughs) silverware. (laughs) This is stuff we need to know. Yeah. Like, I'm so curious, intensely curious. Give us the commissary bottle episode. Like, that's the lower <laughs> decks I want to live for a time. Yeah. Get us in there. Give me the, uh, you know, the transporter, you know, not the chief, but the lackey that deals with beaming the poops out of everybody all day. <laughs> that's got to be somebody's job, right? There's got to be hairnets for, for all kinds of loaf when you're working in food service, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, eventually Poe kind of finds uh, Tilly back in her quarters, and um, we get to learn a little bit more about her and about Zahia. Zahia is a planet that is newly warp-capable, which means they've uh, presumably been first contacted. And Poe uh, says that she has spent her whole life in the, like, mining in the caves for dilithium, which uh, is the the major export of Zahia. Kind of find that implausible given how easily she was cut from her container, right? Yeah, she got soft hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got those white-collar hands. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of palm olive, probably. <laughs> I wonder, like, uh, we've seen dilithium mining in Star Trek VI. Do you sure. think it looks like that in uh, Planet Zahia? A terrifying series of tunnels where people are just shooting lasers at walls well i hope not because i like poe but i definitely hope so because of star trek (laughs) six on planet zahia there are no stockades (laughs) there are no walls (laughs) she says this thing about how her planet formed with zahians already on it like they were born at the same time what did you make of that? Well, what I made of it was that if you're going to be mining dilithium on Zahia, you probably have to aim your drill around the Zahians who are probably baked into the planet, right? Yeah, it was really... Like, I guess it either means that, like, they're they're like Urukai, where they get just, like, <laughs> born out of the ground. Yeah. Or this is kind of a like a myth that she just believes with all her heart or it's true but like i'm not sure why it would be relevant if it's true like she she also keeps saying like my planet is my twin sister and it's i i think as a writing device meant to serve to make her love of her planet seem real and present yeah. but i don't see why you would have to do that why shouldn't anybody love the planet that they come from yeah, it feels like just uh, a little bit of a punch-up of the degree to which she feels love for where she's from. Yeah. It makes her love for her planet more intense, but it also makes it, uh, like, it obfuscates it a little bit at the same time, right? Yeah, it's it makes it confusing in a way that I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. Because it seems like they're trying to say something about the import of it, but whatever it is is not clear. 
and it's like especially unclear in the context of she's saying that she invented this incubator that can recrystallize dilithium, which presumably would mean less mining on the planet. But they don't go into that at all, so it doesn't like they never make the case for dilithium mining as destroying my planet. Only in the sense that that Poe predicts that possible outcome to to the strategic importance of her planet. Yeah. Like it's not it doesn't seem guaranteed. Right. If they've been mining dilithium for themselves but now they're now that they're warp capable could potentially be mining it for everybody. That does have a a bit of a sort of Damocles problem. What we're describing is one of several moments in the ep and I think you started to describe it this way where there's like an internal logic and an emotional logic tension happening throughout this ep where like the emotional logic is what we're supposed to be paying attention to. That's the truth of the ep. Yeah. But a lot of the internal and strategic logic of the episode, especially through a couple of rewatches, like we were both able to do, it doesn't hold together. I think there's something here in this script, but I just don't think it's like that cogent of an idea yet. You know, like I think it needs to go through like one or two more rewrites maybe. I don't understand it. Everyone got greedy and awful. But uh, in this conversation, it seems like Poe decides that uh, it's time for her to head home. And so they go to the transporter room. So presumably they're really close to Zahia also, right? Because, like, she's just going to beam her down to her planet. Well, (laughs) yeah, there's that. But there's also, like... Tilly read the file on Poe, like it's a Starfleet issue with Poe that she must be protected and her trip to Starfleet Command must be safeguarded and ensured. How do you feel about Tilly acting in direct contravention of this in in beaming her home? I like that that Tilly is like a free thinker, you know? I think she does right by Poe here, and it probably is the same kind of free thinking that makes Michael Burnham a great officer, you know, like it's a context is for King's decision. Yeah, but the thing that allows latitude for Burnham is that Burnham is not an ensign. Yeah. And Kirk is not an ensign whenever he chooses to take the law into his own hands. Like, I love Tilly and I want Tilly to be making these kinds of decisions. And I think the qualities that she demonstrates in this episode are what make her command material but like they're unearned in this part of her career and they come with severe punishment i agree but also like poe can keep this secret you know poe is not gonna is not gonna reveal herself to anybody else on the ship so nobody else is gonna know she was there and now tilly who is just starting her career is best friends with who we find out is about to become the queen of zahir it's a great moment at the end, right before she beams away. The things they say to each other, the friendship that they formed. Poe kind of like hops up on the transporter pad, but then walks back a couple of times. And like she gives Tilly a piece of dilithium to remember her by. And yeah, she reveals that uh, she, her destiny when she goes back is to become the leader of her planet. Which is also like another thing that a little bit obfuscates what the escape was all about. Right. Because it seems like she can and will have the political power to protect her idea. Because it seemed like she was saying that the dilithium recrystallization thing was 
controversial and that people wanted to either steal it from her or not allow it to get out in the world. I mean, it's like it's like the plot of uh, every movie about somebody inventing free energy, like the uh, the oil people send somebody to kill them or whatever. A real chain reaction situation. Yeah, exactly. Or or the saint. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like a bunch of movies in the 90s about that. Right? What, what happened to that kind of movie, that genre? I'd say we're ripe for uh, returning to that kind of movie. Yeah. So, yeah, she beams away, and that's kind of the end of the episode. Did you like the episode, Ben? <sighs> I'm really torn, man. Like, I really liked the performances. I, I mean, I loved both actresses, and I loved uh, what they did. I thought there were some really fun parts. Like, I loved seeing... The replicators go ape in the commissary. I loved uh, getting that little bit of backstory on Tilly's relationship with her mom. But yeah, like, I don't feel like I understood what the actual, like, logic of any of it was. And uh, I feel like that that kind of sucks, especially given what they did with the first season, which was a very grand scale for a, like, a long series of events to to tie together in a really cogent way and tell a really like interesting and compelling story. Like this was just like, I like the, I like emotionally where we're at, but I don't know what the fuck is happening. Uh, How about yourself? I feel the same way. I mean, I've always felt that short films were harder to make than feature length films because of the constraints involved in making you care about a situation or a person in a, in a much shorter timeline a Star Trek short film like this doesn't need to challenge itself in that way because we already know Tilly. Like, we're already set up for the stakes and we already know what her character is. So it feels strange to have this short story hamstring itself through the logic it makes us accept. The best shorts, you know, their arc is not overt. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be plotty. And this one sort of feels a little plotty. Right. And uh, I don't think they worked the plot out. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it, it's a, kind of a eh from me. <laughs> I just wish, like, at the end of this story, I didn't feel like, oh, Tilly's going to be in so much trouble. And instead, I felt what it clearly wanted me to feel, which was, like, that's a beautiful moment between a character I love and, and a new friend. And, like, everyone has grown as a result. Like, I couldn't get my head out of the practical it didn't reach me in a way that it was so trying to. Yeah. I mean, the one way it did emotionally was between Tilly and her mom. Like that, that part really worked for me. Yeah, that was a great scene. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. 
or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Adam, I uh, just have one question for you. Oh? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, I think the the scene in the commissary where Tilly's covered in food and she makes up the rabbit story is the Shimoda moment for me. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, like <laughs> I wonder how many times they did that before they found the right amount of crazy Tilly <laughs> to use there. Because it sure feels like they walk right up to the point where like, Tilly's just fucking crazy and like and and these other crew people are going to laugh at her and not in a nice way. Right. Like you you don't see the scene after I think very specifically. You just have to use your imagination for that. Yeah. I like the moment but I wonder about the version of that that's a 6 and the version of that that's that's an 11 <laughs> that you, that you don't see. Uh yeah, my my Shimoda is right adjacent to that. It is the computer because, I mean, this is another another time where logic sort of fails. Like, why did the computer just start firing food out of it? 
What was it reacting to? I thought it was Poe making the computer do that because Poe demonstrated the ability to get herself out of her confinement cargo container. She she turned off the view screen that Tilly was looking at in her quarters. And I thought uh, when Invisible Poe walked into the commissary, that was her way to create a distraction so that maybe she could escape or or hurt Tilly a little bit or like threaten her in a way that would give her some kind of advantage. Well, thanks for ruining my Shimoda. <laughs> no, I mean, the computer was still <laughs> hilarious because I think any time you get a chance to see a food fight yeah. in Star Trek, especially, I think that's what you want. And it's like the computer panicking. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, computers aren't supposed to panic. What's the most fun food that the computer could have made at that point? Like, just a a totally squared off mashed potatoes <laughs> shoot like a like a play-doh style yeah ejection how about a like pot shaped pile of mashed potatoes with a whisk still sticking out of it <laughs> every time <laughs> um, whisk 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 the noodle in Tilly's hair reminded me of this thing that, that happened on the uh, on the school bus when I was in high school. Um, we were headed home from school one day, and this kid had gotten there was like a school store, and he'd gone in there and gotten cupo noodles and made himself cupo noodles uh, to eat on the bus. So he had like a styrofoam cup full of hot soupy noodles, mm. and about five minutes after we got on the highway he decided he didn't want it anymore and he had his window down and he just threw the cup of noodles out the window but it sucked back into the bus like three rows back and this girl was just sitting there minding her own business and suddenly just had a face full of hot soup and noodles (laughs) everybody looked at this guy and was like what did you think would happen throwing a full cup of noodles out the window oh that is so rugged yeah was she burned? No, it wasn't really hot enough at that point to burn her, but she did, I mean, like, you know those little freeze-dried peas and carrots and stuff in those things? Like, and she had, like, Tilly-like hair, where it was, like, she had, like, a lot of curly hair, oh. so it was just, like, her whole head was impregnated with noodles and little freeze-dried veggies and shit, little little baby shrimps and stuff. Oh, no. Yeah, not what you want. I can really get down with a soup in most circumstances, but a soup while inside a vehicle, that seems that seems stressful. I had one of those on the plane while we were in Canada, and I was totally stressed out by it. I immediately regretted ordering it. You ordered soup on the plane? <laughs> yeah, they had uh, they had like big cup-o noodles, like the Campbell's version of cup-o noodles. I was like, oh, that sounds nice. Have a little soup. <laughs> what it was the on- hell? I got a ration of shit from you for ordering a pizza on the plane. I didn't know you ordered a soup on the plane. Ben, I maintain that pizza is the most insane thing to order on a plane, and is way more insane than soup. I want to. I want to hear people's thoughts on this. Uh, go online, use the greatest gen hashtag. Tell us whether soup or pizza are a crazier thing to order on an airplane. <laughs> I think. I think pizza's crazier. I think you know what you get with with a cup of noodles. Like the quality is always. It's never going to disappoint or exceed expectations. You know what you get. That's the point of pizza. Pizza is always good, even when it's bad. Oh, hard disagree, man. Hard dis. I was expecting that you were going to get like elementary school cafeteria <laughs> pizza, like with the single pepperoni in the middle. Like that's what plain pizza is to me. 
No, it was good. It was a it was a pretty good piece of pizza. Tbh. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it was. Because then you're just stuck with a half-eaten piece of pizza on an airplane. Yeah. That you then have to shove into the lavatory. We were on Air Canada, and it's always weird when, like, because I I always fly the same airline uh, domestically, mm-hmm. and so when we were in Canada, it's like that one random time when you're on a on an airline that you're not used to, and you see how weird and different everything is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Like I, you, were, I liked... you were like Wayne Grove. You saw the pizza and you had to get it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, the pizza is the juice. <laughs> once once Rob got the burger and Adam got the soup, Ben had to get the pizza because what's the difference? <laughs> Don't leave any witnesses. <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have anything else we need to go over here? I could just do heat references for the next half an hour, so I think we better split. I think eventually we're going to have to do a donor bonus episode about heat. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any way around it. But yeah, let's uh, let's call it for today. Uh, we'll let Rob's take it from here. Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks, Rob's, for doing a quick turn on this ep. We're doing this uh, just as we've come home from Canada, so pretty quick turn for him. Thanks, Rob's. Thank you. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. Or you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen or GreatestDiscovery when tweeting about the show. See you next time. I told you when we hooked up, baby, that you were going to have to share me with all the bad people and all the ugly events on this planet. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.